No one. What's up, Gator Nation? Welcome into the latest Gators Online podcast live from Spurs Gridiron Grill. Zach Albuverde, Nick Beltore here. This week, we're going to be joined by Jesse Simonton of On3 to discuss everything that went down in Destin this week at SEC Spring Meetings, the first one in three years. Uh, so pretty uneventful uh, topics and a lot of you know drama going down, although I think it didn't live up to what everyone was hoping. Yeah, so, Gainesville's very own Jesse Simonton. Uh, that's right. Former Florida Beat reporter. That's right. Uh, you know, 352 resident, uh, UFJ school uh, product. So we'll get his th- thoughts on everything that went down. We'll obviously discuss the NCAA regional coming up this weekend as the Gators are set to host, hopefully get some revenge against Liberty, uh, as well as some other teams. I've already been forbidden from showing up for that series in the press box, so you guys don't have to worry about that. And then we'll also talk about recruiting as well. A huge uh, weekend going down uh, in terms of official visits. Corey Bender has had some monster news and scoop at Gators Online this week, uh, especially concerning a certain quarterback that I think Mm -hmm fans uh, would like to know a little bit about so if you haven't tapped into that listen Corey's got the juice so it's worth the squeeze the juice is worth the squeeze (laughs) especially when the squeeze is free for seven days and then only ten dollars a month after that and listen it's uh once you get a week's dose of uh of what he's cooking up you're gonna keep coming back so i think everybody was looking forward to this week uh with spring meetings happening Mm -hmm. i think everybody had their eyes on the Fisher Saban feud and what that might be, mm-hmm. and it ended up being a whole lot of nothing. A lot of backtracking from the uh, from yeah. the Alabama Crimson Tide coach, uh, General Saban, uh, the president of Alabama. He showed why he was a DB coach with that backpedal. Yeah, great backpedal, great <laughs> backpedal. It um, it's interesting because you know it, it's there's been like a hush hush. Um, you think people are cheating, but the coach is kind of like. You don't throw stones in a glass house and you just assume everyone's cheating and nobody talks about it because you don't want to point the finger into a mirror and have someone else point right back at you. Won't look so good. It almost seemed like, you know, they say there's no honor amongst thieves. It almost seemed like there was a code amongst college coaches. Hey, we're not going to report people cheating because uh, we don't want ooh, you get a bug. I got it. Look at Mr. Miyagi over here. Listen, um, I live out in the country, so that's <laughs> a um, kill flies. So you almost you don't want people to you know come looking in, in, into your closet. Uh, you don't want to point out theirs. And, and Nick came out and literally, quite literally, pointed into Jimbo's closet and said, "There's bags full of cash in there," um, which is interesting. And, and then Jimbo called an impromptu press conference and called him a narcissist. And well, listen, there are probably a lot of coaches are. Um, but it was it was interesting to see the back and forth. And then uh, I think most of it was probably just Nick sitting in front of a bunch of boosters and, and trying to say, like, hey, as Deion Sanders said, we need the same kind of commitment that these Texas oil guys are giving to Jimbo. We need the, that same kind of com- uh, kind of commitment here at Alabama. Although I will say with Jimbo, as the kids like to say, Nick, keep that same energy. Mm. Man. I don't think the same energy was kept in Destiny. Energy was not kept in Destiny. It was, sure. it was not. And for him to call that press conference, you know, the morning after, around a bunch of probably reporters that he feels comfortable mm-hmm. kind of letting him letting letting his guard down like that. Um, much different when you're in Destiny surrounded by sharks yeah in the media that are, you know, ready to pounce on on some of those comments. So he was much more well behaved. Uh, probably helps when you've been reprimanded as well, but mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 I didn't anticipate it living up to 
the hype. I thought we'd get some like good headlines out of it, but it was like nothing. Yeah, it was all all peaches and cream. It was all sunflowers and sunshine and rainbows in Destin. Listen, they you you were just in St. Pete a little while ago. Those white sand beaches, uh, golf courses, uh, saltwater breeze hitting you in the face right, can listen. can turn your mood like that. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's nice to be out there in the Panhandle, and um, obviously first trip for. Billy Napier, I thought he handled himself well uh, during his press conference on Paul Feinbaum. Obviously, he was asked about the uh, Saban-Fisher feud. Feinbaum almost tried to get him in a little trap um, when he was like, Fisher was almost talking about you. He's talking about former Saban assistants. And and Billy handled that really well and was like, I'm wise enough to not get in the middle mm-hmm. of that. Um, but obviously, he said last week, I couldn't care less about future conference scheduling. Like I'm just trying to get 11 lined up on the field, but it turns out once we got to Destin, that was the topic I think mm-hmm. of the week along with maybe NIL, but this eight game format or this nine game format, we'll get Jesse's thoughts on it. I'm pretty clear about where I stand. I'd like to get your thoughts, mm-hmm. but I mean, one is clearly, I think the fan favorite option. I, I just don't know. I mean, maybe there are some fans that won eight games, but I, I just don't know. You've got, I think, losing rivalries. You've got that's, fourteen teams right now, yeah, and you're already complaining about how infrequently Florida is going to play, um, you know, at Alabama, um, at Auburn, a, a, a game that used to be every year, every, every other year. You, I went to that you, game as a kid. Every other year, you get a chance to go out and and play Auburn. It's a great um, trip. I, I've been here 13 years. Florida hasn't played at Auburn since I've been here. Or no, sorry, sorry, 10 years. Um, I went for the Bo Carroll game. Okay. Yeah. Now, now you know this will be my 10th year, and Florida's still not going out there. It'll be my second trip to College Station, but I haven't been to Auburn yet. And Georgia fans can't say that, or writers. They haven't been to College Station either. No, that's that's a bit of a cushy schedule. But I Georgia. just think eight conference games, one permanent opponent, nine conference games, three opponents. I mean, that's like there's just, what are we talking about so here? So many, there's so many games you lose. Okay, so Auburn, Auburn's not going to play Alabama, or Alabama's not going to play Auburn, or they're not going to play Tennessee. Those are his his historical rivalries, Florida yeah. and Georgia. You're not going to lose that game, so now you're losing the Tennessee game. Yeah, um, that's what you and I grew up on. Phil Fulmer and Steve Spurrier in the nineties. That was the SEC. But they started. They pretty much every year. Correct me if I'm wrong um, on the message board, but Florida and and Tennessee typically top play five, each top other, five, top five. Typically play each other first game, first SEC game of the year. Yep. Uh, and both teams were in the top ten at least. Sometimes top five. And and you were gonna whoever won that game was in the driver's seat to go to Atlanta. Yep. And, and now you're just not gonna have that game in, in an eight game schedule. No way. I, we, I don't know how you do we, it? We riot, Nick. Listen, I right, think they, right now, I think as much as Tennessee fans have been getting whooped in that rivalry, I think go, they, they would riot in Rocky yeah, Top. Yeah, listen, they've been on the wrong end of that rivalry for more than a decade. Yeah. And they would still riot not being able to play Alabama. That's just how much the tradition in the SEC means. And there's no way um, that you're going to have an eight game, 16 teams, and only, and only an eight game SEC schedule. Nick Saban has been pounding the, the table for a nine game schedule for years already. Yeah. So in Destin, he said it again. He goes, "Listen, guys, 
All right. I, I've, I've, been saying I, this, I, I've been saying this for years. I, um, so to me, I don't know how you come up with, you know, you pay a committee probably millions of dollars to come up with a bunch of, a bunch of scenarios, a 30 game scenario or 30 different scheduling scenarios. And I thought I would go to pods and you'd mm-hmm. have four, four pods of four and this pod would play each other. And then you'd play uh, two other pods yeah. and you'd figure out a schedule like that. That would be exciting. And that, and that's the way you kind of rotate around and have different teams play different teams. And then I thought, well, then the difficult part is scheduling who's in what pod. Yeah. You know, cause a pod of Florida, Tennessee, Georgia ensures that Florida gets to play Tennessee and Georgia. But then like who else is in that pod? And that's a yeah. really tough pod. And then you get a pod with like Kentucky and Vanderbilt and Ole Miss. And you're like, no, thanks. I'd like to be in that <laughs> pod. Can, can my team be in that pod with those three others? Um, so I thought that'd be interesting. It, it seems like the eight, <laughs> the eight game schedule with the one permanent opponent. I just don't see how that works. You have so many fan bases that would, you know, flaming pitchforks run up to Birmingham. Yeah. Um, to me, it has to be, a, you have to expand the schedule to nine. I think you're already seeing with the college football playoff teams trying to play harder schedules. I think you're just getting into a scenario where there are some teams in the sec that want to get bowl eligible that aren't yeah. worried about the college football playoff. Kentucky's not worried about, the college football playoff. You want to get bull eligible. Sure. Vanderbilt's Vanderbilt's just happy to be here. Yeah. Like, hey, whatever <laughs> you guys want to play. You want to do a, a 12 game schedule? Sure. We'll do it. And no if you problem. lived in Nashville, you would be happy to be there too. I would love to live in Nashville. <laughs> would love it. So, I mean, we have seen though that it can be done. Yeah. They can play more than eight because they play 10 yeah. in one season. So, I mean, now I think 10 was a little much. That was a COVID year. So like, that obviously complicated things mm-hmm. when you had rosters that weren't even full and guys out and guys that hadn't practiced in weeks. Um, but if they could play 10 SEC games that yeah. year, they can they can do nine. I'd just be interested. Like, who is – okay, so like – For Florida, it wouldn't change. You'd have your same – they'd have their same three the nine, rivals, the, Georgia, Tennessee, LSU. Yeah. And then and, an extra game. Yeah, and, and some it's not going to be fair for – especially the first year for some schools because if you have nine games – um, nine conference games, you're going to have five home games. Some teams are going to have four home games. Obviously, that will flip from year to year. Yeah. That doesn't matter for Florida. doesn't matter for Georgia. doesn't matter for Texas and Oklahoma when they join because yeah, Texas yeah. and Oklahoma play Red the Red River. River rivalry at the Texas State Fair. Florida and Georgia play in Jacksonville. Florida last year only had three SEC home games. Although that's been talked about this week, Florida-Georgia. We can save that for later in the show. Listen, but. I sent, I, I want to go to Athens. I want, I've never been to Athens, never covered a game there. Would love to see it. I don't think they're going to have any, you know, reconstruction of of, of Altel Stadium, TIA Bank, whatever Just it's called. Don't bring the game to Atlanta. No, don't play it in Atlanta. Like, <laughs> give me a give me a home home in Jacksonville. Jacksonville, Atlanta. Give me a give me a four year rotating schedule. I don't want to. I, I don't. I I'll, I'll pass on Atlanta. Why? I, it's a beautiful stadium. Yeah, but I. When no, you go to Atlanta, you go for the championship. Whenever, yeah, I like that too. Whenever I say take the game out of Jacksonville, I get so much hate from all the Gator fans that that uh, follow me from Jacksonville. I understand that they love it's, it. It's there. Well deserved. I got a bunch of I had a bunch of hate <laughs> from people in, in Hoover when I said that the the tournament needs to move out. The baseball tournament needs to move out of Hoover. Got a bunch of people yelling at me for that too. Well, we'll hear from Jesse who says that there are some teams that have made it very clear where they stand mm-hmm. on the scheduling. And that is in favor of eight games. So even though to us it sounds ludicrous, there are some teams in the league that are prefer the eight games. So 
I do think some of those tunes will change once the college football playoff uh, kind of that picture gets clarified and clear in terms of how many teams are going to be there and if you can sustain more losses and still have a chance to compete. And if that's the case, I think teams in the league will feel better about taking on more games and more permanent rivals. Uh, and the, just the total landscape of college football. We talked to Scott Strickland a couple of weeks ago, and, and he said – we might not be looking at a power five, might be looking at a power two. And, yeah. and if you get to a power two where, hey, the SEC has got 16 teams, maybe the Big Ten um, expands. Um, and, hey, we're going to branch off with, with these two and we're going to take a couple more teams and we're going to do our own thing. Yeah. And and we might be talking about, should we play eight SEC games or nine? And then in six years, 10 years, we might not even have uh, a power five. It might be these two super conferences that are just making their own rules up and, and, and playing their own championship game, which it was another topic of conversation this week was a uh, all sec playoff. Um, it didn't seem like everybody was quite on board with it. Like Sankey is in, in terms of pushing that agenda, but it is out there for an option for the league. If the NCA doesn't get its act together, sure. I say more specifically the college football playoff mm-hmm. in terms of, figuring out what the parameters are going to be because that's going to determine future conference scheduling, not just for the SEC, but all these power five leagues that are trying to figure out how they can get as many teams as possible into that playoff. Um, So we're going to get to this first break. When we come back on the other side, we'll be joined by Jesse Simonton. He is uh, in between flights, but uh, he is going to come and kind of give us all the things that he heard you know, in the halls and, and, you know, in between the press conferences and meetings in Destin. So we'll jump back to this break. We'll come back on the other side. You're listening to the Gators online podcast live from Spurrier's Gridiron Grill. Hi, Steve Spurrier here. You know, making a reservation at my restaurant is easier than a Saturday afternoon homecoming game against Vandy. You don't have to call or email. Just go to Spurrier's.com, hit the reservation button, pick a date, number of guests, and a time. It's so simple, I can do it. In fact, I just did. Maybe I'll see you tonight. Welcome back into the Gators Online Podcast, and we are now joined by our guest of the week on three's SEC columnist, Jesse Simonton, just wrapping up his trip to Destin for SEC spring meetings, and we're now catching him in the airport in between flights. So uh, we appreciate you joining us, Jesse. Thank you guys. Yeah. Reagan to, to NYC here. So, but happy to hop on. Uh, it doesn't look like you got much sun. Uh, all these coaches are out there on the beach. They're <laughs> golfing. It looks like you were stuck inside the hotel typing away. I, you are correct. Honestly, it's almost, there was plenty of typing for sure, but it's lots of just, you, you just man in the halls and you're kind of running mm-hmm. around. Um, but it was a good experience. Got a lot of FaceTime with a lot of good folks throughout the conference. It was great to kind of, put my face in front of Billy uh, and getting to know, you know, Napier a little bit, talking to Scott Strickland. Um, and then obviously, you know, a bunch of the other power players uh, throughout the SEC. So definitely this was probably one of the more um, important spring meetings in years I'd been before, but this one just with the weight of everything, not only NIL, but the future of the conference, what's happening with the transfer portal playoffs, um, lots of discussions. The irony is, as I sit here and I leave today, um, I'm not sure how much is actually going to be resolved. I think, yeah. you know, maybe some stuff uh, got a little bit forward or, or they have an idea of where some things are going, but I'm not sure how many votes are actually going to take place on Friday. 
Before we get into the real important stuff, what was the tension like uh, after the verbal barbs between Jimbo and Nick Saban? Uh, what was the tension like? I saw the seating chart put out there. Obviously, that's just like uh, alphabetical order. Um, but Jimbo said, said, I'm done with him. And Nick kind of backtracked. What was that like uh, in Destin? I think everyone was, you know, wanting to see, you know, Buster Douglas. They wanted to see, you know, a 2.0 fight. Um, but the irony is, is that Saban with his initial comments were basically, he literally read off a piece of paper, which was kind of interesting because Saban is normally, he comes in there confident, you know, big chested, you know, uh, he's one of the ones that always looks super tan. He actually looked like he hadn't been outside all that much. Um, (laughs) but you know, he read off a piece of paper that basically said, you know, you know, I didn't say anything wrong. A Tex Ags guy was the first guy to ask Nick, you know. But you but you accused him of, of buying the whole thing. And Nick said, I never said anything. I didn't I did anything wrong or he anybody did anything wrong. And I don't have a problem with Jimbo. And with those comments right there, it really did diffuse the entire situation because then Jimbo wasn't slated to talk that day. He really wasn't scheduled to talk on Wednesday. And yet I think he was like, Well, I'll go out there because now this is just chill. No one's really, it's not really that fire anymore. So he goes out there and it was kind of funny because this is the same guy that called. Saban a narcissist and held his own personal press conference just to like, you know, go scorched earth. So there's a little pot kettle there, but he comes out there and he starts joking about brotherly love stuff. So, I mean, I think there definitely is still tension behind the scenes, but Jimbo certainly was in a great mood. Um, Saban was just kind of Saban. So I didn't think it was all that, like, it wasn't, you know, I think a lot of folks were thinking, Oh, it's going to be like DEF CON. It was not like that at all. No, yeah, no, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Outside of that, what do you think created the most tension in Destin this week? Was it SEC scheduling? Was it the NIL debate? Like, what do you think got coaches and, and administrators the most riled up from, from your perspective? I think talking to folks on the ground, it does seem like, and even lots of the public comments, I do think some of the NIL stuff um, was, I, I, I wouldn't think contentious but at least uh there was lots of dialogue there but i think even greg sankey the commissioner kind of mentioned i think they the discussions there were positive because i think you guys have heard all the comments like to a man almost all these coaches have some sort of issue with the lack of guardrail no transparency you know structure whatever you know buzzwords you want to use now and as i wrote in my column the other day the irony is nobody that knows anything wants to say anything. So they can complain all they want, but it's just griping to gripe. But I think behind the scenes, I do think there at least uh, some ideas were floated. Perhaps some of that stuff's going to start to leak out. To answer the to circle back, though, Zach, I think the most contention is definitely the schedule. Tuesday night, the feeling was on the ground there, it's going to be nine. You know, there's still going to need to be some kind of horse trading over permanent rivals and, and, and kind of, you know, eliminating the guaranteed power five deals. But by Wednesday afternoon, you know, and it, it, it's been out there. I wrote it. Other people have wrote it. Kentucky, Arkansas and some of these other programs, you know, they kind of locked arms and said, we want eight. Um, and Greg Sankey, you know, basically who initiated on Tuesday, thought that they were going to hold a vote um, Friday. We'll see if that happens. He said, wait till Friday. We'll see. I'm skeptical a vote happens at this point. Now, 
let, let's just be honest. It would be absurd if the SEC, in my opinion, played an eight-game schedule. You guys cover Florida. Y'all do a great job. Can you imagine Florida not playing, whether it's a Tennessee or just name a school, name Florida Georgia. programs that has – well, I, they're going to play Georgia. So Georgia, Florida, Georgia would be – if it was a one That'd, be the, model, that'd Florida, be the one. That would be the one. Okay, but is Auburn, Georgia really going to be eliminated? Is Tennessee, Alabama going to be eliminated? Are you really going to invite Texas into the SEC and then say, oh, you're not going to play Texas A&M every year? Well, then, so to then me, the Red River rivalry's out. No, that's a guarantee. That's to say, you know ESPN is like, we paid all this money for the SEC. We are getting the Red River so, rivalry. So then, the in first the eight time games, ever. <laughs> so then in the eight-game schedule, now, now, okay, well, Texas and Texas A&M, maybe they play, but not every that's, year. That, yeah, that's why I think ultimately my opinion on this, I think it's a poison pill. I think it's a, I think it's they basically have created two models where they know one they cannot choose. And so it's almost like a strength and negotiating ploy for the Alabamas. Florida is obviously a huge proponent of the nine-game schedule. Scott Strickland was very transparent and open about that. Um, and also Florida, you know, Kentucky's gripe is hey, we play Louisville. And I understand Kentucky is you know, they're, they're in a different phylum of the SEC than the Gators. And so uh, they're one of these, you know, Stoops has this awesome contract trigger seven, eight wins. He gets a rolling year, another bonus. It's awesome. That's why he wants to continue to make a bowl game every year. Whereas Florida's like, hell, we'll play the nine games and we'll still play Florida state. And, and Georgia yeah. feels that way with Georgia tech. Um, you know, South Carolina is an interesting one, guys, because I think Beamer is is a lot of folks like him. And I, I thought he was awesome to talk to um, off to the side, he, you know, even, even just kind of some one on one stuff. And I think he's kind of in two camps because obviously they play South Carolina or they play Clemson every year. Um, but he's a competitive dude. And so it's kind of funny. So it's like maybe his administration is like, hey, our schedule is really hard. We want to be team eight. And I think Shane's like, yeah, I get it. I kind of I, I see the positive the merits to nine. So I think time is on the SEC side, and I would be legitimately stunned if they don't come to the conclusion that ultimately it's a three-six model. Let's negotiate on who gets what permanent rivals mm-hmm. and let's eliminate okay, Arkansas, you don't want to have to play nine SEC games and then also have to play another power five team. We'll eliminate that rule. That's okay. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do that. If Florida, Georgia, and these other schools want to, kudos to them. But if it's not a requirement, then I think ultimately calmer heads, cooler heads will prevail, and, and they'll go to a nine-game slate. The nine-game slate seems like the path of least resistance. Obviously, it seems like like you reported and like you wrote that there is – listen, there's just to put it bluntly, there's haves and have-nots in the SEC. There is yeah. there's an upper echelon, and then there's some other guys – um, Kentucky's been good recently, but they're in that lower slate. And like you mentioned about Stoops contract, those teams are like, Hey, we got a good thing going with eight. I like only having to play eight and then I can get one FCS team, uh, and then play Eastern Washington <laughs> and, and get another one. And that's three wins. And, and now I can sneak into a bowl game at six and six. Um, I, I think the other teams, Saban's been beating his chest for nine and beating the table for nine for years now. Yeah, yes. I just can't imagine like, how do you okay? So Alabama, Alabama has the third Saturday in October against Tennessee, where they're smoking cigars in the locker room. You're not going to have that, uh, or you're not going to have the Iron Bowl. It, there's just there's so much history in the SEC to me to have to cut ties with these traditional rivalries 
is a disservice to the league and to the tradition. And I don't see a way that you yeah. go with eight um, and, and sacrifice all of that. Well, not only that, there's all there's already the complaints from fans, from administrators, from every seriously universally across the conference, players, coaches. Hey, we haven't been to school X. School yeah. Y hasn't come to our school. If you have a 16 team league and only an eight game schedule, that's going to become I mean, it's just it's it's ridiculous. And so uh, I, I just and again divisions are going to be gone. So, so the, for, for the first time since 1992, it's going to be basically just 30 years this season, the SEC will have had divisions. So you're talking about a, a potential eight game schedule, 16 team league in a division. I just, it's not palatable. It does not work. I, I think this is a lot of posturing and ultimately, uh, you know, again, there's going to be horse trading that happens, but they're, they're going to settle on some sort of three, six, nine game model. I just, there is no way out of the 34 models that they looked at that that eight game one was in the top two. I think like, Jesse made a great poison point. Pill. A poison I'm telling pill. you, it's a poison pill. It's a poison I think pill. That, I, think it's, I think that was a great point. It's like, hey, we picked one terrible one and yeah. one that we think could work, and we're only going to consider these two now. Um, but the, yeah. another detraction from the, from the nine game schedule is that odd numbers aren't going to be even when you schedule. Yeah. I, that Florida and Georgia don't care. Because one of them is losing a home game in the current model each yeah, year. Yeah. Florida is losing a home game, uh, lost a home game last year. They only had three SEC home games. They get four this year. Yeah. Um, but that 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 away game with Jacksonville in the nine game model, Florida's like, cool. We get four home games every year now. That's that's better yeah. than we and had Texas, in the past. And, te- and Texas and Texas and uh, OU are in that same camp. Mm-hmm. A- any discussion about them potentially joining the league sooner this week? That, honestly, that that there was very little um, scuttle on that at all. I, I heard next to nothing on that. Now they were Sankey noted they were looped into the conversations rescheduling, um, but because the SEC has no play in that, uh, you know, I think if that happens, guys, that's going to be a push from like Disney, you know, and and that <laughs> the, the the TV stuff and and let's, be, let's them not being forget like, who Daddy is. TV is yeah, Daddy. Exactly them being like, we want that inventory early. Um, but the, but I mean, the big 12 thus far has not seemed, uh, interested at all in letting them out early. So unless they want to pay, which again, requires a check from daddy. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we're speaking with Jesse Simonton from on three final couple things for you, Jesse. Well, as we wrap up, what was your impression of a lot of the new faces that were in Destin this week? Specifically, I'm sure our Florida fans would love to get your impressions of Billy Napier, but also some of the other first-year coaches there. Yeah, I mean, this was, again, a unique deal because, obviously, spring meetings hadn't happened for a couple weeks. This was the first one in three years because of COVID in person. Um, And so this was a lot of guys' first time, whether it was the Josh Heupels, Clark Lees. um, I mentioned Beamer, you know, those guys who were in the league last year for their first season, or the Billy Napiers. Um, and Brian Kelly's and those guys who are, who are now coming into the SEC. Napier is obviously an impressive guy. I mean, he just he kind of exudes a calm confidence. Um, you know, th- th- this probably wasn't. Uh, I, I, we were obviously probably talking about a lot of stuff he isn't particularly. You know, it, not I wouldn't say not interested in, but you know, he's really focused right now on the vision of Florida and how to get the Gators back. And, and some of this stuff is, is particularly important, but I think he wanted to get back to Gainesville um, and get back around his team. I mean, he's just, 
he, he's an impressive guy. I, I, I do think that uh, while South Carolina, um, I, I, I think their fans are really thinking because they won seven games last year. Um, you know, oh, we got Spencer Rattler. We can win eight, nine, maybe compete for the SEC East. Those breaks need to be tapped. But Shane Beamer is an impressive Shane Beamer is an impressive coach, and I think he would say has said the same thing that you know expectations be darned. Um, but you know he, he's a good guy too. So it was good just to get get in front of a lot of these guys for the first time in a good while. And then final thing for you, Jesse. Uh, all the dust has settled for the most part from the transfer portal. We kind of know where all the SEC rosters stand heading into the summer. What is just your general outlook on the league, uh, you know, a few months away from uh, SEC media days and, and fall training camps of, of just some of the top contenders and how you see this thing potentially shaking out in the fall? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that we're, we're likely headed for another collision course of, of Alabama versus Georgia and kind of the clash of the Titans again. But that's not to say that the rest of the league isn't interesting. I honestly think after those two teams – you could literally rank the next eight to ten, nine, maybe in a bunch of different orders that a lot of people would say, I can at least see that. And Florida fits yeah. in that equation. I mean, there's a lot of different avenues where Florida could struggle to make a bowl game or could definitely win eight, you know, something games and be like, okay, this is a real, you know, table setting season for what the future of the program could be. Um, I'm not obviously high on 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 Missouri or or Auburn this season I, I love Clark Lee he was a guy I spent some good one-on-one time with Vanderbilt is just a, such a long rebuild there um I'm really curious especially this is kind of looping back with the Gators I don't know how you guys feel I got to roll here in a second but LSU I think is the biggest Jekyll and Hyde team in the league this year because of yeah. what they did with the portal how Brian Kelly basically looked at his roster and said way too thin I got to get immediate upgrades across the board. Jaden Daniels, he doesn't do it for me. Maybe a former Gator OC's kid, Nussmeyer, he can sling the ball a little bit. I think maybe he ultimately becomes a starter. Kelly has played two guys. Denbrock loves to have a quarterback who, who can run. So Daniels is definitely going to have a, a role in that offense. I just think LSU is going to be like one of the most interesting teams because they could literally be last in the SEC West or they have enough talent, both that was already on the roster and what they brought in via the portal to push probably every team in the West, except for Alabama. So that's yeah. a, that's a wide variance. For sure. Well, listen, you covered a wide range of topics, uh, Jesse, we appreciate it. Uh, great work this week and Destin and let all the folks know where they can follow you and also uh, send you some questions for your mailbag. Yeah, absolutely. Follow me on Twitter at Jesse R E. Simonton again, Jesse R. E. Simonton. You can also email me. Um, it's linked on my Twitter. Means more mailbag. We run it every Friday. SEC only football centric questions. So send them in. You can tag them. You can find it uh, all over. Send it in on the On Three Instagram. You guys do great work at Gator Online. Part of the team. Uh, good to catch up with you guys. Absolutely, man. We'll uh, see you at SEC Media Days, man. Enjoy uh, some much needed uh, break in between then, but appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Looking for more reasons to celebrate? We have them here at Celebration Point. Enjoy some of the newest additions to our already celebratory lineup, like Dave & Buster's, Le Macaron, and Prime & Pearl. There's always a reason to celebrate. Join us anytime for any occasion. Celebration Point. 
where Gators come to celebrate. Welcome back into the Gators Online podcast. Appreciate Jesse for joining us in the last segment. Uh, some really interesting takes and opinions from him on everything that went down in Destin this week. And um, I, I think we knew if there was going to be some things that coaches had to gripe about, one thing was definitely going to be NIL. Although we heard from Billy Napier, he doesn't really have much gripes about it. Um, you know, he obviously agrees with most coaches that there needs to be some parameters put in place. But in terms of the aggressiveness, uh, he's all in. Yeah. Um, I think. Billy Napier continues to be out in front. And I mean, he says like piece of the pie. Well, yeah. They need a piece of the pie. And I don't know that many coaches are, are going that far. No, they will uh, not. Cause that TV money's changing. He even went out there and said like, listen, I look back 1990, 1990, yeah. uh, sec cut like a $1.6 million check. And the schools probably felt good about that. Um, now seven sixty seven. Yeah. That, that uh, it's like a $300 million a year deal from ESPN. So like we're getting into funny money. So when I tell you, like when people are like, man, Florida's paying a bunch for, for like all these like payouts and, and buyouts for coaches. I'm like, don't worry. The money is about <laughs> to be, they're printing money in the sec. It's you're paying with monopoly hundreds. And it's just going to get fine. bigger. And it's just going to continue to get bigger and bigger. Um, it is interesting though that that he's gone that far. Now every coach, you can't publicly come out against NIL because no, that will be no. you will be negatively recruited against. Every kid's trying to get a check, trying to get paid. You can't publicly come out against it. I think I honestly think Billy Napier thinks it's a good thing. Um, yeah, he's every, not just blowing smoke. No, every coach though is saying, "Listen, there are no rules. We're not playing." But well, I don't know if Jimbo Fisher has, has complained about yeah. this, but every other coach um, has complained about. There needs to be some kind of guidance, some kind of rules, some kind of we're, we're not all playing by the same rules because every state has different rules. Yeah. Um, and then every school is following their state rules. Yeah. So how they want to follow them. Yep. And, and it's not being policed, kind of like when I said with Scott Strickland, if I'm doing 110 on the highway, but there's no one, no one there to, to write me a ticket. Am I breaking the law? No, yeah. If you're not being caught, are you breaking the law? And I think a lot of schools are, playing fast and loose with NIL and just no one's policing it. Yeah. And, and I don't know when that's going to go into effect. Cause as Strickland said, it's, it's really up to Congress and congressional action for that to really, for something really to be done, um, that everybody's going to follow by the same rules. So Congress should be concerned with a lot of other things going on right now, rather than NIL <laughs> legislation and the NCAA, the organization that is the governing body should grow some teeth and, 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 and do something. I, I don't know what you can do about NAL. Like if you try to make a player ineligible for a certain kind of thing, like you're going to get hit with a lawsuit. I did think it was interesting. And he mentioned this last Thursday when he spoke prior to his final speech in Gainesville. Um, but he also mentioned it in Destin about how he's kind of studied and looked at the NFL. And you wrote about that at Gators online and just how they've, um, or how they went about trying to determine free agency and setting parameters around that because um, salary cap is a different discussion, but there is there is parameters that can be put in place for free agency now that you have NIL, transfer portal, one-time transfer exemptions, um, and, and players also with an extra year of eligibility from 2020. All these factors are just creating way more movement than we've ever, than we've ever seen before. And college coaches don't like change. Uh, they don't like change, and, and they're losing power. So those are two things that they hate, and both of them are happening right now at the same time. 
Um, it is interesting though. Like one member on our message board posted Billy's Billy's comments about free agency and contracts sure sound a lot like where he thinks it could be moving towards the student athletes being paid as uh, like contractors, sure. uh, which is not a move that the NCAA or probably a lot of the schools want to. And I'm, I'm not sure that's exactly what he was suggesting, but then we're talking about, all right, well, what are the health benefits? And you know, we're getting health insurance. Yeah. Is there life insurance? What's the 401k? Uh, so like college football is changing rapidly. And, and I don't know that I know. I certainly don't know, but I don't know if anyone knows kind of the direction that it's going and how fast it's getting there. Yeah. Well, I tell you what's about to uh, pick up in a big hurry is recruiting, man. This is the uh, first week of June, summer camp starting up. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're going to think classes are picked up back on campus when you see some of the parking over there in the O-Dome lot, but gonna nope. You, is Corey going to get you out there, Zach? I, I told Corey, you let me know. Zach's in the bullpen warming up. Listen, I've, I've spent many a days and many hours uh, at summer camps. Um, you know, shout out to uh, all the coaches back in the day that used to bring me water and Gatorade when we were out there just mm. dying. Shout out um, to T-Rob. Yeah, T Rob and and some of the others. So uh we'll we'll be out there. Obviously, Gators Online will be well represented. Mm -hmm. Uh Corporate Don, mm -hmm. Pat will be in the building. Um, uh, we might even get Nick out there. Um <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at my PTO. <laughs> That's right. Uh listen, buddy, you've earned it with baseball. And we'll we'll get into that as well. But I know you guys are excited about recruiting, especially the recruitniks out there. A huge recruiting weekend going down. Um, Nick's going to run through the list, um, and we'll talk about some of the visitors. But I think the biggest development on the UF recruiting front is with Jaden Rashada. And mm -hmm. uh, Corey Bender reported the latest on not only where things stand between Florida and Rashada, but also where things stand with his official visit plans to Gainesville. So if you haven't seen that report, I'm not going to give it away here. You got to go to Gators Online and check it out to see when he could make his way to Gainesville, which would be a return trip and would be significant for this coaching staff and this program to get him back on campus. Uh, you know, Corey's also run through basically a war room of where stand mm. things right now with all the offensive prospects and defensive prospects. So as Nick said earlier, take advantage of that seven day trial right now as we kind of start not this that, month. Not that we're slouches, but but Corey Bender's recruiting information is worth the price of admission at Gators <laughs> Online. Zach and I are just happy to be here along with Corey. It is, and, and for him and for this recruiting staff, I mean, we talk about you know the, the fall being our season for football. Like right now, this is their season. This yeah. is recruiting season. Um, and these weekends coming up for official visits, these summer camps where they're going to be able to get guys on campus for workouts, this is huge for a staff in its first full recruiting cycle, You know, trying to put together a bump class and also – build its board for 2024, 2025. So, um, and also no more initial counters. So mm -hmm. as Billy Napier signed 50 about, this year, yeah, you just gotta get, get to 85 by August, but you can sign as many as you want now. Yeah. And that'll obviously be, um, something else that we continue to monitor after the Gators had another round of enrollees come to campus. They basically have their entire class now, um, on campus for summer regimen. 15 of the 18 signees, as well as all the transfers I've made it to campus. So um, the benefit of those guys being able to go through summer workouts and kind of just get established. We saw the, uh, what was it, the draft day, Nick? 
that they had for the summer regimen. Yeah, they're still to- learning <laughs> details on that. I think by the time um, you guys listen to this, we'll have some more out there on that. But from the looks of it, it looks like they split up the teams for their summer uh, regimen phase and all these workouts that they're about to do to create some competition, which mm-hmm. is what it's all about. Yeah, it, it, when you're going through workouts where you're not allowed to drink water uh, um, and, and and they're getting pushed mentally and physically, probably as much mentally as they are physically, um, it's good to have that team aspect of competition. And, and it's, hey, man, this sucks, but I can't let the other team beat us. Yeah, I already saw... What happened if I lose during the spring game? I'm not trying to eat Franks and beans. Franks and beans. Not trying to eat Franks and beans after this workout. I'm trying to get that filet mignon and a little lobster, some crab legs. That sounds much better to me after this workout, um, you know, than some than some Chef Boyardee. And I would imagine that some of the official visitors visitors this weekend, they're going to be eating along those lines, yeah. uh, getting wine and dine. Um, Nick's going to run through the list real quick. We'll talk about some of the visitors that are coming to town, and then we'll wrap this up with uh, all the regional action going down in Gainesville. But, Nick, there's some uh, big names that are making their way to Gainesville this weekend. Two top 100 players on our on-three composite ranking. Uh, first one, defensive lineman Kelby Collins. Uh, the second one, a big name that Florida has been in on for a while and fans want to hear about, Aiden, Aiden Mizell, um, top 100 receiver. Four-star linebacker Grayson Howard. Four-star running back Treyon Webb. Everyone knows Gator legacy there. Yep. Um, putting out a lot of stuff. Like, hasn't committed to Florida. Uh, but, but he has orange and blue gear. Certainly feels committed. <laughs> yeah. Hasn't committed, but, but certainly feels committed. Almost like pencil that one into the class. Looks good. Looks good. Prospects seem good for Florida. Yes. Uh, with a four-star running back, Trey on Webb. Uh, four-star linebacker, Raul Aguirre. Four-star linebacker, Jordan Hall. Four-star safety, Jordan Castell. And a Gators offensive line commit in Bryce Lovett, all yeah. on campus this week. Yeah, so obviously a, a big weekend for the Gators. I think getting Mizell in town is huge. Uh, I think he's a guy that Florida could probably get in the class regardless of um, whether they have a quarterback committed yet or not. But the fact that you know Jaden Rashada has now emerged as a target for Florida, so it's probably something that he's got his eyes on. Um, getting Webb on campus is obviously a big deal. I think getting your your linebacker targets, um, you know Howard and Hall. Hall being a guy from IMG Academy, a school that Florida is uh, continuously trying to like make moves in and and, and kind of gain some traction there. And I think that they have the potential to do that with a few prospects in this class. Hall being one of them, just named Florida in his top five um, heading into this weekend's visit. So make sure you guys stay locked in uh, at Gators Online. Corey Bender and and Pat and Don will have all the latest from how those visits go down and uh, kind of where Florida stands. I would think that over the course of the next two months, you're going to start to see some guys pop. I think that's fair to say. You know, uh, the quarterback dominoes are kind of starting to pop and, and fall. Um, It'll be interesting to see once Arch Manning goes somewhere. Um, yeah. What Jaden's is coming up? Uh, what is eighteen days in sixteen days? Yeah. Um, getting a, getting an official visit from him would be huge, uh, especially if it comes before the eighteenth. Um, did spend a lot of time in Gainesville, but Florida needs a quarterback in the bump class. Um, don't know who you go for if if it's not Rashada. Um, you have to flip somebody at that point. I think. Yeah. Or you're looking transfer portal or flip somebody. It's hard to flip a quarterback. Uh, 
Emory Jones was the last one they flipped, and that yeah. was a super late in the process, like a signing day flip. Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, it does help for Florida with Rashada that his dad um, it went to Arizona State. So has he has a relationship with Villanueva. Yeah, he has some familiarity there. He knows not only what he did at Louisiana and now is doing it at Florida, but can actually check this man's credentials from his time with mm-hmm. the Sun Devils. So I think there's a reason why Florida, despite being one of multiple schools, not like they're just the only one, but one of multiple schools that really got into the mix kind of late here, um, they've ascended to the top and put themselves as a serious contender to land his pledge. So um, we'll continue to monitor where things are at on that front. But uh, let's switch gears here to baseball as uh, the Gators have earned themselves the right to host after an incredible run in the month of May and uh, now put themselves in a position to, uh, I think, advance not only, uh, not just host, but advance. Uh, They get a chance to get some revenge against Liberty, play some other quality teams as well. And Nick, as always, will be there to cover it. And I will not be because I've been banned. (laughs) Man, uh, so... Zach's banning story. Um, I had a wedding that first weekend. Um, so I covered the, the season opener against the Liberty and they won. Um, and they won the game. I left, um, had a great time. Congratulations to Kyle and JC. Um, had a great time drunk as a skunk all weekend long, celebrating two great friends. Uh, look on my phone Saturday, expecting Florida to probably sweep this little, this little team Liberty, uh, see a loss. Think, man, not going to be great for Zach. Uh, Sunday comes, nursing a hangover on my way back to Gainesville. <laughs> Look at my phone, lose again. I'm like, whew. Tune into the message board. Zach has been officially banned from any more games. And I know. Didn't I'm like, even ah, make it out of the first weekend. Didn't even make it out of the first weekend. I know. Didn't I'm even like, make it to conference play. I did the first weekend. And I know. I'm like, ah, shoot. Zach has to cover another game. Another weekend for me because I have another, another wedding coming up. So uh, we, we sent Pat. Oh, and they won. Said and they won. Yep. So Zach's Zach's done. Uh, but I'll be there. It, it's a really tough regional. I think Statesboro with with Georgia Southern is another tough one. But I think Florida might be the toughest regional um, in of the sixteen. Yeah. Um, you get a team in Oklahoma who <sighs> on fire. Who's on fire? Just won the Big Twelve championship. Arguably could have been a host of of their own regional. Um, obviously, the three seed in Liberty who beat Florida. They're coming in as an at-large. They lost in their conference championship tournament, so they weren't an automatic qualifier. They, they're an at-large bid yeah. um, from, from a mid-major conference. And then the only 40-win team that is a four-seed <laughs> in Central Michigan. They win their conference, um, and I pulled up his name. His name is Andrew Taylor, who is their starter. He was the uh, conference freshman of the year in a first team, all American Mm. heading into this year. So I've already prepared myself for the Florida. This is embarrassing. Uh, We can't hit a guy from CMU. And I'm like, okay, well he's going to be a first round draft pick next year. (laughs) So that's just how baseball is. Like you, you get a six foot five guy who's hit a hundred miles an hour pitching at SMU. Um, That's or CMU that just happens. So Florida's going to try it out. Brandon Sproke put that Mm. news out, broke that news today at Gators online. Um, Sully's gone back and forth with it in the years. Sometimes you save if you're the one seed, you're playing the four seed. Sometimes you save your ace, and then listen, the two seed and the three seed, they're battling. They're 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 going to be close. Yeah. Um, they're going to battle, and hey, maybe we can sneak in and win this game with a two or a three pitcher, and then have our number ace, one to yeah. go, and then you only have to win one more game after that because it's a double elimination tournament. Asked Kevin O'Sullivan about that today, and he said, 
No. Uh, Central Michigan is for real. They have a legitimate number one starter who is throwing against us. We're not at the point where we can get cute. We're throwing our mm-hmm. ace against their ace. Um, the biggest thing that I'm excited about is, so last year there was weather coming in. Florida chose, and it was the first time that they were going to open up the, mm-hmm. the stadium to a full capacity. Florida chose, hey, weather's supposed to happen later in the day. We're going to take that one o'clock time slot. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I get it because of weather, but that's that's not going to be great for people trying to come to the game. And it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. There were hundreds of people at the game, not thousands, hundreds of people at the game, which was first pitch at one o'clock um, on a on a Friday afternoon. It's tough timing. Florida's at 630 first pitch. So I'm expecting a really, really good crowd. Um, we had great crowds the last weekend uh, of baseball, but really tough regional. You're going to get Brandon Sprout. Florida's playing their best best baseball. We talked to Jeff Cardozo about it, and I asked him the question, are they just playing bad teams mm-hmm. or are they playing well? He said, maybe it's both. And then you look at what the team did in Hoover. That proved it. Yeah, look what the team did in Hoover. Almost 10 runs. Lost to Texas A&M, but almost 10 runs to Texas A&M yeah. when they played in the second time. Uh, Texas A&M's a top eight seed in the tournament. Um, you played Tennessee tough until, until the wheels yeah. fell off towards the end. Um, Alabama was a team that was fighting for their life. So Florida played really well against good teams, not just, you know, the has the has-beens and the other runs in, in the SEC. So the team is playing as well as they have all year long. They've figured things out in the bullpen. Wyatt Langford, despite not being nominated or, or getting any All-SEC or All-American run so far, um, still hitting the cover off the baseball. So it should be a good week at Condren Ballpark. Uh, hope to see you there if you're there. Let me know. I'll be there all weekend. Zach might be in, in the stands. I will. I will. A good, I, I'm a good record. I have in a the great stands. record in the stands, especially midweek. Um, do the Gators make it out of this weekend? I'm going to go and predict the Gators get it out of this weekend. It'll be my first trip then, uh, as long as Virginia Tech takes care of their region. My first trip to Blacksburg. Ooh, that will be fun. My, my first trip to Virginia. I've never been in the state of Virginia. I can't say that I have either. So Shout, shout out Mike Vick. I'm going to be... Hopefully, this time next week, I will be traveling up uh, to Mike Vick's alma mater. I don't know if he graduated, but Mike Vick's playing grounds. That's that's what Virginia Tech is known for, for sure. Mike Vick. Man, he was, that dude was legit. You know what a hokey is? I don't. It's a castrated rooster. I, I learned something new today. You learned something new, too. Um, Just a weird thing to root for. Well, we learned some uh, new things from, <laughs> that's right. It's a weird thing to root for. Well, hey, it's not that far from the Gamecock, so... Uh, okay. It is. Um, but listen, we learned some new things from Jesse Simonton this week. We appreciate his time and coverage from Destin. He was uh, great with us, feeding us with some quotes and um, doing a great job of covering the league there. Uh, Nick, as always, on top of all his baseball coverage, um, I know you guys have enjoyed uh, a season's worth, and you still get another weekend of it, and hopefully some more after this one. And As always, make sure you guys are following all of Corey Bender's recruiting coverage, especially with things heating up in the month of June. We will be back next week for Nick Del Torre. I'm Zach Albaverde.